Hmm. Have you ever given thought to how pastors begin a message? Like, how, how do we start giving a sermon? What, what are some of the things we sometimes do? Sometimes it might be a strange question. It might be a dramatic story or a humorous story, or if we're really on our game, it's a mixture of both, right? Perhaps a compelling question we'll ask, or a statement that sparks curiosity or confusion or even shock. Why do we do this? Well, even if it's hard to believe sometimes, us pastors recognize we always run the risk of being boring. Oof. I mean, think of it. We recognize what an incredible honor and privilege it is for all y'all to spend 15, 20, 30, sometimes 40 minutes listening to us speak, trusting that we have prepared and done some faithful work to bring you the word of God, trusting the Spirit will work through that, and you'll learn something about God and grow in your faith. But we've all been there when a message has amazing content, but it is lost because it is presented in a very dry and boring way. Never Pastor Curry or, my, Curry or myself, of course, right? No, we've been there before. We've all been there when a message has that content, but it's presented in this way. And so, Pastors try to think of ways to draw you in. And there's another reason, however, we do this, you see? Because we want to be like the best. None of us, I hope, think we'll ever be the best, but we want to be like the best. We want to seek to follow in the footsteps of the master. So we look to Jesus and how he begins the greatest message that was ever given. Today, in our series, From a Hat, the people have spoken, and we are talking about the Sermon on the Mount with a focus on the Beatitudes. And so we're going to read that today from Matthew chapter 5. It's going to be from verse 1 through 12. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles there with us, or it will also be on the screen as well. And so consider how Jesus Christ begins the greatest message ever given. Hear the true word of the Lord, the very words of Jesus. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. Hmm. Sermon on the Mount, hailed as the greatest message ever given by the greatest teacher that ever lived. And Jesus Christ begins his message by proclaiming to the masses, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do pastors begin their messages? Sometimes it is with statements that will totally confuse and confound you. Such as, blessed are the poor in spirit. That was sure to turn some heads. It was a very countercultural idea, you see. A very confusing idea. And if they were not interested in what Jesus had to say before he started speaking, they certainly were listening now. And Jesus was very intentional in all things he did, and certainly in beginning his message this way. Let's zoom out for a minute and consider the full Sermon on the Mount. This message is from Matthew 5 to 7, and it is focused on kingdom living. You know, Jesus came with the message to repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we know, as the good word tells us, we live one foot in this reality and one foot in in heaven, because we are citizens of heaven, though not yet there. And so Jesus gives this message on how to live a transformed life. His teaching is so profoundly impactful, but it's also deeply challenging. It's been called that Jesus preaches an upside-down kingdom because it's so different from the world we live in. And I've even said it's an upside-down kingdom, but in reality, it's a right-side-up message that Jesus proclaims. Because even though his teaching is so different from ours, his is the right way of things. That is the right-side-up. Art's our world that has been turned upside-down. And so he is calling us back to live in this right-side-up kingdom that seems so different from what we experience day in day out. His whole message is practical. It's applicable. It's very life-changing. So if you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount in the past, say, three months, I recommend you make it a priority this week. Matthew 5 through 7. It is a great way to spend some time. You will be blessed. You will be challenged by it. But zooming back in to these Beatitudes— What are these Beatitudes? Seven blessings, all countercultural to that day as well as to this day. Seven blessings that call us not first to commands, but to a character work, to put on the character of Christ. The Beatitudes are kingdom principles that stand the test of time that will last for the rest of time. And it's given to us by the one who transcends all time. At the time of Jesus, most believed that the healthy, the powerful, the rich, the respected, and the the educated, that they were all very clearly favored by God. Basically, if your life looked good, it's because you must be good, and God has blessed you for your devotion. And the flip of that is, 
If your life looked like it was a little bit in shambles or bad, it's probably because you are bad and God has cursed you for your sinfulness. I am glad I did not live in that type of world. (laughs) Except we do, don't we? We do live in that kind of world. We have this, this celebrity culture where we put others up on a pedestal with the ones who have the most and look the best. And then in little ways, we kind of live into that lie as well where we have a desire to only share the best of our lives. We try and project uh, the good to people, only share the positive, our highlight reels, if you will. And we do this in innocent ways, too, when people ask, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. And inside you're like, I'm freaking out. (laughs) Anyone do that yet today? Anyone brave to say they did that yet today? Oh, I got a couple hands. There you go. I like that vulnerability, that bravery. Yeah. How are you doing? Fine. It's all falling apart. Half of our worship team was like, we're having major crises right now. Can I say that? But they're all doing good and smiling and laughing, so there you go. But we know this because our Facebook feeds, our Instagram feeds, we show only the best of the best, right? Of all of our photos. There's not a double chin in sight, and our house is never messy. (laughs) And we long for people to see us as people who clearly have it all together. We have a firm grasp on life. We are enjoying the ride. And so we find that we project a positive but false public image, just like those in Jesus' day. I want to give a challenge to my, my friends in Journey, specifically Journey High. There's a thing that has happened in social media in the last, I don't know how many years, because I'm like outside of it now. I'm not like, I'm not hip anymore, Journey students. Did you know that? Yes, you did. You knew it more than anyone else. The trend is you have a couple different Instagram accounts. You have your main one, which is only the coolest pictures of the coolest experiences. And then you have your spam account, right? Where it's all the fun, silly stuff of you just being a kid out there. What would it look like to merge those and just show everyone everything? Now, maybe we need to go first and do that ourselves too, right, adults? But I wonder what it would look like to get away from the shinied up version and show the little bit more honest version for all of us. And so Jesus speaks directly against this belief. The belief that God only favors the healthy, the wealthy, the powerful, and the rich by proclaiming that in his kingdom, he blesses those whom no one else blessed. Think about it. The disciples, they were cast-offs. They were normal, everyday people who were fishermen. They were the despised, such as the tax collectors. Jesus would sit with a Samaritan woman. He would speak life to the adulterer. He would touch the leper. He blesses those no one in the world gave a second thought of unless it was a thought of disgust. He blesses the poor in spirit. He blesses the mourners, the merciful, and the meek. He blesses the overlooked, the peaceful, and the pure. 
in a world that values the powerful, the rich, the influential, the have-it-all-togethers, the populars, and the strong. Jesus is flipping the script and saying, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, my blessing is available to all. Now, if you're like me, you've likely have read the Beatitudes before and you like reading the Beatitudes and you start to see it as like a to-do list, right? You see the Beatitudes as this to-do list. Okay, if these people are blessed, I want to be like that. I want to be meek. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to be merciful and pure in heart. I want to be a peacemaker. You got it. These are all good things, all good things for us to strive for. Absolutely. I want to be persecuted. Oh, wait. I don't want that. Though Jesus says, if it happens, we read elsewhere in the Bible, if it happens, rejoice. And then you read that first one. I want to be poor in spirit. What does that even mean? And doesn't God long for us to be rich in spirit? Rich in filled with his spirit. Well, yeah, absolutely he does. And does he long for us to not have to always be mourning? Of course he doesn't want us to always be in a state of mourning. So does it mean we're not blessed if we do have wealth, if we are well-liked? Does that mean we're not blessed so we need to cast off those things? No, that's not what this is saying either. You see, the Beatitudes are not a to-do list. They're a good news list. Can you imagine that? It's not just a to-do list. It is a good news list. Jesus has described, look, this is the playing field. This is who's blessed in my kingdom. It is a different standard from the world. And it is not based in you or what you do, but fully in the one who gives the blessing. The good news is when we are fully at our end, when we have hit rock bottom, when we are completely and empty and spiritually empty to be poor in spirit, that Jesus Christ meets us in that place with his blessing. There is no place he will not reach. There is no one he will not extend it to. That is the good news. Some have argued that poor in spirit means to be fully dependent on God. I do think that's true. I think that is accurate. But I also think it goes deeper than that because if we're totally at our end, we cannot help but be fully dependent on him because we can't do anything on our own power. And we know, no question, we need to strive to absolutely be fully dependent on him at all times, to empty ourselves of all the things that stand between us and God. But we also long to be rich in spirit, not our own, but in his spirit. Because as we learn how to depend on him in all areas and in ongoing dependence, our spiritual life will grow. It will expand, and it will ultimately overflow because it's no longer us 
but him of who we are relying on. Finally, being blessed by God, it means to experience hope and joy independent of our outward circumstances. In a world where sin is a constant <laughs> we stand on, in the kingdom, the truth is that his blessing remains. See, the good news of the Beatitudes is that blessing transcends circumstance. Blessing from God means experience a persisting hope and joy regardless of what is going on in our lives. In this world, when you are at your end, the world will cast you aside. But in God's kingdom, Jesus will meet us at us at our end, and he will show us a better way. He will show us his way, the way of truth that will set you free. So what can we take away from this today? That God longs for all of us to fully depend on him. That his blessing is reaching out to us if only we empty ourselves and rely on him, trusting he's enough for you. We can walk away with the assurance that no matter what is happening in our lives, God longs to be close to us to bless us and pull us into a better way. Because Jesus is calling us to live into his kingdom life right now and here as we begin to put on the character of Christ. So some things for us to consider as we connect this to our lives. If Jesus blessed those who no one else would bless, from the fisherman to the thief on the cross, Jesus blesses those who no one else would bless— that is good news. We, as his people, know that we have received blessing from God. So the question is this. How has God blessed you in your life? There's space in your bulletin to write down five ways. The first things that come to your mind, how has God blessed you in your life? If you're at home and don't have a bulletin, just grab a scrap of paper, type it in the comments. How has God blessed you in your life, in the low moments and in the good moments? And believing that we are blessed to be a blessing, how might you extend that blessing to someone else this very week? You see, right after the Beatitudes, Jesus goes into the talk of how we are the salt of the earth. We are called to be the light of the world, to season this world with the kingdom blessings of God, a world that is sorely in need of seeing the ever-shining, hope-filled light of Jesus. So how have you been blessed to be a blessing so that you can bless others this week? And then finally, if you have struggled counting your blessings, I want to read to you the Beatitudes one more time. I'm going to read from it from the interpretation of Eugene Peterson through the message to get a different glimpse and see what stands out for you to see if you can find yourself in here. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Because with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. 
Oh, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. His food and drink is the best meal you'll ever eat. And you're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, that is your mind and your heart, put right. Because then you can see God in the outside world. And you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. Because what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. So you can be glad when that happens. You can give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. Yeah, my prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. May we get into that kind of trouble too as we seek to follow the master's leading. That is the good news. Jesus blesses those who no one else would bless. He blesses you and he blesses me. It may be confusing, it may confound us, but oh, it is beautiful. And just like this meal, just like this table that can confound us and confuse us with the audacity of grace of what it is, we trust and believe that God will transform us through it. As this reading said in verse 6, you are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. His food and drink is the best meal you will ever eat. We praise God. Just as his blessing is extended out to us all, we are all welcome at this table if we profess him as Savior and Lord. What a gift to be called his children in his kingdom. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your message that you gave all those years ago that you very well could give and do give now. We thank you for your kingdom and how different it is from our hard world here. Lord, we pray that you give us kingdom eyes to see things the way you long for us to see them. We pray, Lord, that you give us the courage to follow you and to find your blessing and your path of life for us as we seek to put on your character and follow you. And we thank you for this feast at this table of which we get to partake together. We praise you for your grace, for your goodness, for your kindness, and who you are. Lead us again today to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.